0: You're listening to the Doheny Podcast Network, the Doheny Eye Institute, working for all to see. Your host is Jody Becker.
1: My guest is Dr. Alfredo Sedun, a world-renowned specialist in neuro-ophthalmology. Dr. Sedun's 30 years of experience in the field have earned him an international reputation for research and treatment for diseases of the optic nerve. His work has shaped the prognosis for eye disease patients around the world, and he believes many of the breakthroughs are the result of collaboration, a philosophy we'll talk about in this show. In 2012, Dr. Sadoun was recognized with the highest clinical distinction in neuro-ophthalmology, the Hoyt Award. Dr. Sadoun, thank you very much for being here.
0: Thank you. It's a great pleasure to have this conversation.
1: So I would love to start with the hottest news, which is the gene therapy treatment now available to some retina disease patients. It's a huge breakthrough, years in the making. I'm wondering if you can trace the trajectory of the research and talk with us a little bit about how it works and why it works.
0: Well, first of all, I completely share with you a great deal of excitement about this newest and a number of different approaches we've taken to this disease. Um, This particular occasion, we're trying to go for something which was thought to be too challenging technically just a few years ago, which is to get a gene that goes into a virus that would go into the eye that infects the over one million cells that are otherwise impaired by this disease and hopefully rescues them. What made it so technically challenging is like other gene therapy, the mutated gene in the disease is not in the nucleus, not where the other 30 or 35,000 genes are harbored but rather in this tiny speck in the periphery of the cell of the mitochondria. And that's challenging because you've got to get the gene that the virus carries, not to go where the virus wants to put it, which is in the nucleus, but ultimately you want to get the protein that's made by that into the mitochondria. If it works, and I think we might find that out very shortly because of the very dramatic disease we're testing it in. If it works, it would open the door to treating all mitochondrial diseases
1: And what does that really mean when you say if it works, it could work in treating all mitochondrial diseases? I mean, it sounds like the implications of that are enormous.
0: There's a large number of mitochondrial diseases that are genetic. Um, Some very tragic diseases like Lee's disease where children who are normal at age 2 develop terrible problems by age 3 and die at age 4. These are general diseases of the body. But here we have, in this particular occasion, a system that's very pure and very well worked out which is a disease called Labor's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy that's exclusively to the optic nerve. And when we say the optic nerve, that's the part that connects the eye to the brain. But the front part is a lining of over 1 million cells called retinal ganglion cells. And that's really where the problem exists. And fortunately, that's also where access is great because an injection in the middle of the eye into the clear gel that fills the eye with the virus will allow contact by that virus to all the cells of interest.
1: Could you give us a little bit more of a description of your work and sort of how the research has led up to the current breakthrough?
0: It begins with this disease that actually has been known for a couple hundred years, but misunderstood, which is remarkable and mysterious. Typically, it'll be a young man who'll suddenly go blind in one eye, uh, maybe around age 18, and a few weeks later, the other and unfortunately this is a profound, severe, and irreversible bilateral blindness. that seems to mysteriously just come out of nowhere. Uh, It's easy to say it's genetic, but then why did he have 18 good years first? And so it's attracted the attention of a number of people like me, who are neuro-ophthalmologists, but also a lot of geneticists, because it turned out in 1988 that we figured out it was always due to a mutation in the genes of the mitochondria. And it was about that time that I also developed this great interest in this disease. And maybe the most compelling event that occurred, occurred in the year 2000, when I was contacted by this new modality called email uh, by a person in rural Brazil. She was a very smart lady and heard about the uh, email system, used it to contact me after having researched over the internet and concluded herself as being a member of a huge family with this disease. This seemed almost absurd because most ophthalmologists have a hard time diagnosing this very rare disease, but of course it turned out she was right. And in contacting me it led to us being able to send her to collaborators at the University of Sao Paulo, which is not a small thing because she was way deep in the rural interior of Brazil and it took many days of bus rides for her, her newly affected son, and her two older brothers who had gone blind when they were teenagers And that led to us putting together a team that at its maximum had 45 people. And we've gone back every year to the same rural corner of Brazil to examine the same 300 patients and to see how they progress year after year. And so that is what you began by speaking about, which is this this collaborative environment, which has led to some, I think, very major understandings of the disease and, and new avenues of research.
1: So, you're talking a lot about the significance of the research, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about how significant these breakthroughs will be in treatment.
0: Well, as an example, the very first treatment that we tried was for a certain chemical that would carry off the extra electron that we calculated was accumulating in the cells. And this first uh, chemical is called idibenone, and it has now become, I hesitate to call it the standard of care because it's not in this country. But it is the standard of care in Europe and this country the FDA has not yet approved its use. But even as I'm sort of bragging that our work helped lead to this being used throughout Europe and Canada, it doesn't work very well. But from that we came to a second chemical which is a little bit better, uh, something called Epi743. And from that I think we moved into now a combination of two chemicals that are going to work particularly well. But at the same time, a group of people in this country and a competing group of people in Paris, France, have been working on this problem of getting the gene to be able to go into these cells and carry the information specifically to the mitochondria.
1: So gene therapy is here, but still for most people it sounds very futuristic. Can you demystify it a little bit and talk about sort of the practical nature of the clinical approach?
0: Well, maybe first some caveats. Gene therapy began about 20 or 25 years ago with tremendous promise and the thought was that you could go in and fix any genetic defect by having a virus carry the correct gene in. But despite the fact that uh, there was great enthusiasm, there were also problems that maybe had not been fully anticipated and there were some tragic consequences. Uh, One in particular happened in Pennsylvania where a young man who had an immunodeficiency disease caused by a missing gene developed a viral infection when the virus was given to him uh, that eventually causes demise. So, the U.S. government, quite appropriately, I think, put an enormous number of breaks on gene therapy, so there's been this long period of time where maybe the rest of the world has moved further forward than we have. But the cautious approach has allowed for all sorts of checks, including suicide genes that make sure that the virus that, that, that you use cannot replicate, can't travel, can't go elsewhere. So I think now, in a very cautious way, we're seeing this second wave of developments with gene therapy. And even in the eye, it it has been put to extremely important use. About two, three years ago, it was applied for another type of disease, which is a form of retinitis pigmentosa. The gene did go where it was supposed to, and it did improve the status of those patients. This approach that we're doing is both harder, but more promising. Harder because we have to get the gene in the mitochondria more promising for the same reason. And because we think we can do the injections within a shorter period of time after the loss of vision, I think it's also going to be more dramatic in terms of restoring vision. But you know, we've only injected a couple people, so it's a little early yet to to talk about the positive results.
1: It's exactly what I was hoping you would explain for us. Finally, how accessible will this treatment be for patients?
0: Well, this particular trial is for 36 patients with labors, this very rare disease. We will know probably within one year, whether it works. But I should mention that it's a double-blind placebo-controlled trial. That's the best level of science, but it means that in each occasion, one eye will be injected with virus and one eye will not. The other eye will be a sham injection. The patient won't know which is which, I won't know which is which. We take advantage here of the fact that UCLA has two eye centers, and so that this research is being done uh, by our group at the Doheny, But the actual injections will be done at the Jules Stein, making it easier to have a firewall of ignorance, so we won't know which eye is which. And then we will just let the data speak for itself as the information comes in over the next uh, 12 months. If this all works out, to me, the really exciting thing might happen in about three years when it might be that the proof of principle allows other mitochondrial diseases to be treated the same way.
1: Can you talk a little bit about your encounters with patients who have realized improved vision through your treatments?
0: Well, first I should set the context and say that the majority of patients with this disease have their lives devastated. It's really quite the tragedy. I I don't think it could be psychologically worse than to have a person who's about to go off to college, if we're talking about U.S. patients, without any idea that they have this time bomb in in them. They have plans and girlfriends and all these things and then suddenly they wake up blind in one eye and a few weeks later in the other eye and then are told it's not going to get better. That's the rule, not the exception. However, we've had a few effective treatments and in the last year I would say that maybe as high as a third of my patients have responded to such therapy, gotten their vision back, and just as depressed as they might have been initially, they're exhilarated at this second chance at life.
1: So as you're saying, it's, it's truly life-changing most certainly. Dr. Sadoon, thank you so much for being with us. It's extraordinary research and now treatment that you are able to offer with your colleagues. I know you also have significant research relating to Alzheimer's and many other interests and areas of expertise, so I hope you will come back again soon. Thank you again.
0: It would be my great pleasure. Thank you. The Doheny Eye Institute, at the forefront in eradicating eye disease for nearly 70 years, is dedicated to providing state-of-the-art clinical services and supporting leading researchers in the quest for treatments that stabilize and improve the precious sense of sight. Doheny is now affiliated with UCLA Stein Eye Institute. For more information about our doctors and their innovative work in the
1: quest for better vision, visit our website, doheny.org.